If they had lived in Old Testament times, they would have undoubtedly been stoned or mauled by bears. If they had lived in the time of Jesus, he would have rolled his eyes at them endlessly as he exercised their demons. If they had lived during the Reformation, Martin Luther would have nailed his 95 Thesis to their foreheads. But lo and behold, here we are, and somehow, each of them is responsible for leading the church in a different way. There's Kendall, the youth minister and mustache expert. Hunter, the rookie youth minister with the hair of Absalom. Coach Rhodes, a pre-youth minister whose observations leave you wondering, why? And Brandon, who's abandoned his youth ministry roots and is now largely useless. It's the Practical for the Pew podcast. Yay! Thank you, Justin, for getting us started off with this podcast. Um, today, we're going to be looking at part two um, of, of this book that we're reading, The Insanity of Obedience by Nick Ripken. And uh, I'm Coach Rhodes, and we have our other podcasters with us. I'm Brandon. <laughs> we didn't establish an order this time. Hunter. <laughs> and I'm Kindle in no particular order. Man, quite awkward, wasn't it? Hey, very awkward. Four, we are podcasting pros. Unbelievably good. While, while we're while we're talking about the introduction, hey Brandon, can I just say whoever wrote the intro uh, was really rude to you. I hope your mom's not upset about what. Uh, was said in that intro about you let's uh give a shout out to my mom hope she's doing all right after uh the intro was unchanged for this episode Uh, (laughs) we'll try to do better next time all right (laughs) (laughs) i will i will add something in there real quick um one time hunter kindle and i and some other people went to a went to a concert and one of the rappers at the concert is a Christian concert, and uh, one of the rappers like, "Haters gonna hate, ball is gonna ball." So that's what we're doing. We're balling today, boys. We're balling today. <laughs> Was it All right. Who let him lead the intro? <laughs> All right, here we go. So part two. Here's a little summary of, of what it's about, and then we'll get then we'll get into it. Um, part two chronicles the birth of faith within settings of persecution. Is it possible for faith to be born? In settings of hostility and opposition, and if so, how exactly does that happen? And Brandon, I'm going to have you start us off with it. Um, like what's what's the main idea that you that you got from this? Um, my main idea, my main takeaway comes from chapter ten, uh, so right in the middle of this section. Uh, and I think uh, the main theme of being kingdom minded in everything we do. Uh, to borrow C.S. Lewis term uh, of divorce, like the, the great divorce between our life in the church, our religious life, and then our life outside the church walls that is divorced from our faith and so different. Uh, one thing Ripken wrote is um, it, regarding this divorce is in evangelism and discipleship. He says we consistently suggest that evangelism and discipleship are interchangeable. Uh, But healthy faith is always doing them together. They're inseparable and at the same time, or they're done at the same time. So could it be 
that our emphasis on discipleship in our Western churches is a camouflage for refusing to evangelize. Hmm. So one, I mean, my ministry is discipleship. And so one of my favorite activities to do is to just ask before I get into it, um, what everyone's uh, definition of discipleship is because uh, defining terms is important. So um, a little bit off script, but I want to hear what you guys define discipleship as. Well, to buy us a little bit more time, Brandon, you ask your people this. So what is your de- definition of discipleship first off? Well, that's not very fun, but okay, I'll, I'll squelch the uh, discussion. <laughs> um The definition of discipleship that I like uh, comes straight from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, uh, 19, and 20. Uh, A disciple identifies with Jesus and obeys all of his commandments. Uh, So, you know, there's baptism discussed in the Great Commission. That's an identifying moment. You identify with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. Um, And now you go out and you actually obey. You actually live out his commandments. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and a uh, footnote that. I'm gonna quote that of what Brandon just said and use that as mine. That's fantastic. Great idea of discipleship. You miss a hundred shots, hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. <laughs> That's what hundred just did. I, uh, <laughs> I look at, I look at um, the disciples in the Gospels. And I, I mean, I think a lot of what Brandon said nailed it on the head. But uh, for me, especially when within the context of youth ministry, and I see how Jesus works with his disciples, who honestly half the time they act like middle schoolers. I, I feel like um, a big part of discipleship is um, deep fellowship, deep friendship with the goals of transformation, transformation in our own hearts, transformation in each other transformation with the one who's leading us transformation with the community around us who are fellowship so um so when you look at the disciples and how jesus led them that was their goal we're gonna we're gonna grow deeply as a a brotherhood or a a fellowship with the goals of of transformation within all those different contexts if that makes sense that might be too broad of an idea for discipleship but talk about small group ministry being really important within youth groups that's kind of how i see it that we want to build transformation within each other leaders and students alike and as that transformation happens we're also not leaving it just to us as a group but we're trying to do that in the community as well that we're actively trying to change our community at the same time so evangelism discipleship you're right go hand in hand they happen at the same time that's our that's what we're trying to do well, that uh, everything you just described sounds like what Bonhoeffer uh, wrote about in Life Together. I mean, that was his idea of transformation through fellowship. So uh, I, I think really. that... we can't we can't transform on our own. And I know this might be a, a sub point of what we've been talking about with this book. But um, one thing that one thing that just breaks my heart is those who are Christians who struggle with church. And I understand every reason to why people might struggle with going to church. And so they decide, well, I don't need to go to church because they've burned me. And so I'm going to just continue my faith at home. And I, and I, I get that to an extent, 
of like that you're going to just work on your own faith. But we we need community. We need fellowship with one another. And that's where transformation does happen. And and, yeah, there is heartbreak that happens sometimes um, being mistreated sometimes in church. But the only way we can change church is if we're in church and changing one another and working through our blemishes and giving each other grace and trusting the ever changing um, blood of Christ. And so, uh, like I said, I'm going on a tangent a little bit, but that's just something that's been on my heart a lot with people I've talked to a lot lately. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, Rhodes, did you want to give your idea of discipleship? I mean, I think I'm going to kind of follow, follow Hunter's lead and just kind of <laughs> Not really respond. I mean, the only thing that I would say is like, you know, just live life with them, you know, and yeah. be, be like Jesus to them while you're living life with them. And so just to put it in simple terms, but, um, you guys, you guys explain that very, very well. And, uh, we definitely appreciate that for sure. Well, to give Hunter uh, Brent, some credit, so- I mean, I just did that from somebody like, uh, one of my favorite authors right now on discipleship is Bill Hole. And I'm pretty sure it's his definition that I, uh, totally ripped off. So there you go. Uh, um, I I know I was making a silly joke by quoting you, but I, I would like to add in just a small thing, um, not much in how I see discipleship. And, and that's uh, his name's Craig Greenfield. And he's a, he's a writer kind of in the same realm as Nick Ripken. Yeah. Um, but he, he has this idea as a long sliders yep. club. And that's how I see deci- discipleship is, um, really somebody just being an alongsider. They come, grab your hand, live life together. And the biggest point that is made um, in that type of discipleship is I'm going to come as a Christian. I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to show you Jesus. I'm going to grab you by the hand and I'm going to walk with you. But the only point is, is you can't expect me to expect you to stay where you're at. There has to be growth. And, and that's, that's the biggest point is made where the transformation happens and, and just to dumb it down a little bit, grab you by the hand, but you can't expect us to stay there. We're, we're going to move forward. And that's where the transformation takes place. That is right on. Um, absolutely. So here's the themes that I'm picking up on, uh, from you guys. Um, it, it's about transformation. It's about doing life together. Uh, it's about moving from one spot to another spot and that second spot is always closer to jesus um what's interesting is i haven't heard what i hear most often uh, in in our churches oftentimes we've restricted discipleship to learning uh if if you read the great commission um oftentimes we stop it we we want to baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and we want to teach them uh, and we we don't read the rest of the commission we don't read the teach them to obey. Uh, so like what you guys are saying, we can't teach them to obey if we're not going to do life with them. We can't teach them to obey in a Sunday school room. We have to join them Monday for lunch or uh, maybe we work alongside them throughout the week or, uh, you know, maybe it's dinner on Thursday night, whatever the case may be. Uh, but that's where the true discipleship comes. Um, and I'll, are you done? <laughs> I want to add something else in there. I don't want to get too off. I don't want to cut you off, <laughs> but I wanted to, hey, I wanted hey. to add something else in there. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I wanted to add is that is that the scary thing about that is as us being um, disciple disciple makers and and walking with people is that 
is something we mentioned in a previous episode is that um, you have to be vulnerable. Like they are going to see your mistakes. They're going to see your flaws. And that's scary because you're trying to be mentoring them. You're trying to be showing them Jesus, but they're going to be seeing stuff that you struggle with too. And it's scary, but I think it's good because it also shows the human realm that, Hey, I'm still working on this, but I need you to, to continue to work on this too. Like I, you see I'm flawed. Well, you're flawed too. And we both need to be growing at the same time. That's one, one thing I, I want to add to, to both of what you said and what Brandon said. Um, we, we, in our youth program, and, and this is where I got to start being careful because I know, <laughs> I know people listen to us. Hopefully people listen to us, but we in our, in our youth program, we probably have the majority of our students identify as either bisexual or homosexual. And our, and even more than that, even those who are straight would definitely condone that that's okay. And don't see anything wrong with that. And a lot of that reasoning being, the culture that they're in. So, um, so I have parents that are obviously concerned about that and, and people that are concerned. And, and so I was really wrestling with, okay, I, I know there's a lot of pressure from the adults that, Hey, we need to discuss this with our youth group. But my fear was if I just come out and say, Hey, you guys, this is wrong. And, and I show them scripturally that this is wrong without first building a relationship with them or leading them into how to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. I feel like they wouldn't listen. And then I would have a harder time talking to them ever. And, and so I've really started wrestling with, okay, I can't tell the, the, my outreach youth group night, this like just straight out the gate, you know, um, Instead, we got to have a small group night, which we've started, where we're talking about um, spiritual disciplines. We're talking about growing deep together and growing deeper with God and discerning what the Spirit wants from us easily as we grow into our spiritual disciplines so that those conversations can take place. And I think that's what you're talking about, Brandon, is that we can just, even though we know what's wrong and what's right, we can just say that. We have to build a relationship. And we, and that's where it has to start. And it's harder, like Matt said, that's harder because it, to watch people in their sin or to, to see that they're incorrect in their view is difficult. And, and it's also messier. But uh, I think evangelism and discipleship is intended to be messy and intended to be hard. And I think that's, that's the, the, the tough road that we have to take as Christ followers is saying, you know what? I'm going to be patient. I'm going to stick in this. This is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And so therefore I'm going to build this relationship and slowly paint, plant those seeds to sanctification and holiness. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree with everything you said, uh, and it actually works pretty well to come to my last point. Um, I don't like the term evangelism. Um, and I think we should, scrap it. I, th I think in the church, we need to be careful with the words that we use and we need to define them well so that we are all running in the same direction. And so instead of separating them and having two categories, I want to say we are a discipleship church and discipleship begins at hello. As soon as you meet somebody, you're developing the relationship like you're talking about. Uh, and, and over time, as you build that trust and guess what? Uh, we have the thing called the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Uh, people are going to know us because of our love. 
Uh, we look vastly different than the world, or we should, I should say. So as we develop those relationships, questions are naturally going to come. Opportunities are going to come for us to speak truth into those people's lives. Um, and that's where the transformation that Hunter was talking about comes from. Uh, you, you go from hello to uh, hanging out a little bit to all of a sudden this person is picking up on some of the Jesus that we're living out. Uh, and before too long, uh, we're incorporating them into our faith practices. Uh, and that's what it's all about. It, it's all discipleship. I, I don't like the distinguish um, or I don't like to divorce discipleship from evangelism. So. Yeah, that, that's very good, Brandon. Uh, I think we had some really good, really good discussion on that. Um, I'm gonna, that'll lead into in, into Kindle. Where do you want to Where do you want to take this uh, this conversation? Well, um, I definitely am about to sound like uh, a kid in high school English class who has to write a report, and so he picks the first three pages because he didn't read the whole thing. But I am uh, picking the first three pages of this section of the book to talk about. Um, and you can just guess if I've read the whole thing or not, but, um, <laughs> something that really stuck out my heart a little bit. Um, and something that I'm, I'm still, only, uh, the author talks about there's three types of persecution. I want to take a second to highlight what the three types of persecution that a Christian will face are. And then um, I want to expound on one of them. So there's three types of persecutors that can be found throughout the history of Christianity. The first one, and the historically most common, is um, the state is the persecutor of of believers. So the government that the believers live in um, would be the persecutor against their faith and whatever that persecution looks like. Then second... The second one um, would be, it involves the state, but it would be an ideological partner that joins the state. So some type of, usually a religious organization that has the backing of the state and they're doing the punishing or they're doing the persecution of the believers. That's the third kind, or that's the second kind. And then the third kind of persecution um, that we, that we see historically is both involved in the state and that ideological partner, but it, it tends to be an extended family member or someone that you have a personal connection with uh, that on some level, whether it be your neighbor or something, and they have the ability to persecute you. Um, it, it can even happen. And I think sometimes we still see that even in our culture um, in America of, you know, family members sometimes being a persecutor for believers. But the one I want to, the one I want to focus on um, and something I'm still praying through just, man, it just hurts is the second one that um, that this ideological partner, this religious organization, uh, he said, Nick Ripkin said that um, one of the tragedies of Christian history is that Christian in- institutions are significant persecutors of Christian believers. Historically, the church is the fourth largest persecu- persecutor of the church. And you're like, how does that even work? How does that even can compute in your mind and as he goes makes more sense and and the four of us can expound on this a little bit but um guys that just that just hurt (laughs) and um and it hurts because 
I see it in our churches right now too. Um, just the, sometimes the attitude that we have is an attitude of, of, um, a, a, like a bully attitude and um, we're right, you're wrong attitude. And, and sometimes we can come on, uh, we can come across to those non-believers in America or even other Christians as um, not good enough. And uh, that makes the gospel really unappealing. And if, if a non-Christian read that, that sentence that uh, the church is the fourth largest um, contributor of persecution against the church and be like why would we want to be a part of that it hurts itself and yeah <laughs> we hurt ourselves. and and i i've been in prayer just saying god give me grace <laughs> and give us grace and and break our hearts for what breaks yours and open our eyes um that just <laughs> that just sucked <laughs> so um that's that was something that really stood out to me um and something that's still wrecking my heart i think um, it's Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to say in section one, I don't remember the exact quote, um, but Ripken pointed out that, uh, I guess to go back to defining terms, uh, persecution is essentially restricting access to Jesus. Uh, So when we ask, how could the church be a persecutor? uh, I mean, I guess a, a better way of asking it would be, how are we restricting access? What, what are we holding on to? Uh, what are we, what are we saying as individual Christians that make up the church? Because, um, you know, what I put on social media, uh, non-Christians, non-church attenders, they they might not separate what I'm saying from what the church believes or from what they assume Jesus believes because a Christian and a pastor are saying it. So, what what am I doing personally, and what are we doing corporately as the church that restricts access to Jesus? Yeah, I think I think every one of us has to ask those questions in our own life. And then uh, when as we just talked about um, discipleship and evangelism being a community thing, we have to ask that within our communities, too. What is our Christian communities that we are a part of? Are we restricting Jesus in any way? Are we by any on any level persecuting people? One way that I think that we persecute and I think it's something that us in America are getting better at, but for a, for a long time, we persecuted people in the church who had babies outside of marriage for a long time. That was a persecution that we struggled with, um, that we, we made it hard for them to feel the grace and love of Jesus and the, and that moment of, of shame, you know what I mean? And, um, sometimes we think of persecution as a physical violence done against a believer, right? But that's not always the case. Um, a lot of times it's it's throwing shame onto someone else. And uh, I, I think that, that restricts and that hurts the gospel of Jesus just as much. Most definitely. I've definitely heard stories of of people not that don't want to go to church. They don't, they don't want, not, not like you said, not because they don't believe, but it's just, they despise the church because of the people in the church who have been judgmental or, or whatever, you know? And it's like, that's tough. That's, that's very tough. Cause 
you know, we all have flaws. We all have flaws. And, and if we're so quick to, you know, throw the stone, throw the first stone instead of just checking ourselves and being like, Hey, well, I, I struggle too. How can I come How can I come around you and help you, um, get better? How can I, can, how can I help you move in the spirit, move in, in, in your relationship with Jesus? Uh, we're so quick oftentimes, and I've been guilty of it too, where we're like, well, I'm not going to get close to that person. I'm not going to say hi to that person. I'm not going to be, um, befriend that person because, uh, I saw what they did, you know? And it's like, well, you know, that's wrong. Like that's, that's not the way we should be going about it. We should be, um, be, you know, inviting them in, be like, Hey, I'm here. Um, I'm here for you um, because I love Jesus and he loves you. And, and I want to get to know you and, and, and love you too. You know, and that's something that's difficult, but it's something that we have to do as a church. Hunter, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, just real quick. Um, oftentimes in this realm, as the church persecutes the church, um, we take on some, sometimes there's this mentality of an abuser uh, an abuser's pattern. And, and that happens when we think we have to be healed or our hope has to be in that person who hurt us. And we constantly go back to that person and we're looking for approval or looking for whatever. And, and sometimes churches have really hurt people. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it, to see it. Um, it happens. It takes place. The church can hurt someone deeply. And to anybody that's listening that has been hurt by the church, um, reach out. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, many of these guys would love to talk to you because it's a true thing that, you know, the church has hurt a lot of people and it continues to hurt people. Um, but to push back on that, to say the only way to heal from the church is the church. And what I mean by that's the only way to heal is through Jesus only way to heal is through community, and and there's no more hope in that. And as you see, counseling a lot of times, secular counseling, um, you know, takes place without hope. Um, they don't get to hear the hope of Jesus. They don't get to hear um, of the new tomorrow. And and not um, you know say anything bad about secular counseling because um, I'm a believer in it. You know, sometimes sometimes you just you, you can't do anything about it except for to, you know, fix a chemical imbalance that, that we were born with. And that goes back to Genesis three. We, we were born with, um, you know, disformities or diseases and that's okay. And that's okay to seek out actual, um, you know, therapy and to get medicine for it. Not saying that, but to say um, the only way to heal the hurt of the church is, is from another church. Maybe, maybe it is that church, just a different person. Um, but I'm saying we are here. We know you've been hurt. We've all been hurt. So let's, let's do this thing together. Yeah. And, and Hunter, yeah. something I want to piggyback off of that is that, um, if you're, if you're someone who has been hurt by the church and you're listening to this, um, just know that every person who, who goes to church or, or is part of the church is hypocritical because they're they're sinners and and they're they're trying to lead you along but yet they struggle with stuff too and um it doesn't mean that you know that they're not saved and they're not they're not cleansed by the blood of jesus but it just means that yeah they're going to say some things they're going to do things that are hypocritical um but you gotta you're gonna have to look past that 
um, because because we're all on this walk. We're all on this walk trying to grow closer to Him, and we all know that that we need to surrender our whole life to Him so that so that He'll make us righteous, so that He'll make us pure. But it's an everyday battle, and we will do hypocritical things. And so, even though we are hypocritical, look past that and give it give it give it a chance. Give people a chance to to invest in you and to help you along your way. Yeah, I think uh, we're we're all involved in the church in different ways, and I know each all four of us, we've all been hurt by the church at some point in our life. Um, I know that personally for all of us, and so as we speak to the audience, um, I just want to remind everyone that our enemy is going to use whatever he can to break us apart, to hurt us, to scar us. Um, and sometimes he knows using the church or using church leaders is a great way um, to hurt our faith and to pull us away from the community that we need. And uh, yeah, it breaks my heart, uh, the true statistics about um, the church and what the church has done to its own believers um, and even those outside of uh, its believers. But I still know that the church is the bride of Christ. And that we are meant for community and that we can, as we work together, make the church a better place. Make a church, make the church a place of safety, a, a place of love and grace, and a place that grows in the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4. And so those who are listening, we want to encourage you, uh, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're hurt by the church or not, um, that, that God is going to heal you and God's going to use another community to do that. Once again, we went a little bit long uh, recording this section of the book, so we're going to take a time out right here uh, and split this episode into two, and we will drop uh, the second half of part two of The Insanity of Obedience next week. Uh, we hope you guys are enjoying the conversation. Uh, we really do want to hear your feedback. Uh, we love hearing from you. Uh, an easy way to do that is to follow us on social media at Practical Pew. Uh, send us a DM or comment. Let us know your thoughts uh, because we definitely want to hear from you. Uh, so uh, that's a wrap on our fourth episode for Kendall, Hunter, Coach Rhodes. I'm Brandon. And as always, we want to say thanks for listening, Mom.